It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast, Steve and Jerry with you. And Jerry, we have done it. What have we done? We've made it almost to the end of Moving Pictures. Oh, oh yeah, okay. This is our fourth Moving Pictures episode, and it's been great. That's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, we are The Rushcast, and our email is therushcast at gmail.com. And I understand you have an email about moving pictures. Is that correct? Of course, yeah. I've been getting a lot of emails about moving pictures. This is representative of one. It's from Darren. Oh, Darren. Thanks, Darren. It says, Jerry, perhaps in some ways it's possibly a rare thing that the majority of individuals would say, Moving Pictures is the greatest Rush album. Admittedly, the album is the most successful commercially and selling the most units out of all Rush albums and has the most songs played on the radio. I look at Moving Pictures as like Surfing with the Alien by Joe Satriani with, the dis- with describing the above. However, the perceived classic albums that are most commercially successful aren't always the best overall. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen was the most successful album commercially for him with the most hit singles played on the radio. However, many would argue and say that Born to Run is the classic best Springsteen album overall. Okay. Well, thanks, Darren, for that email. First of all, I don't understand the Joe Satriani reference. Explain that to me, Jer. I don't know. I don't listen to Joe Satriani. I do know. I, I mean, I beyond that being a very popular album. Okay. So it's Joe Satriani's most popular album, but it's not his best, according to Darren. Maybe it's not his best. Right. So is Darren saying that Moving Pictures is not Rush's best album? I think so. I think that's what he's saying. He didn't provide an alternative, though. What is Rush's best album if it's not this? That's true. But I think the the I, I got other emails, too, of people saying that, you know, just because something is very popular doesn't mean it's the best. And I don't think I ever said that. We weren't saying that. No. I think that just this just happens to be the best-selling Rush album and also the best Rush album. Correct. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, yeah. it's their most popular album, and it just so happens to be their best. Yeah. Simple as that. It's as simple as that. Sometimes, you know, people recognize, you know, the great unwashed Steve, you know, the people at large, non-Rush fans. Right. Sometimes they get it right. Yeah. There you go. And I just wonder if Darren thinks that this album is Rush's best album. I'm guessing he doesn't based on that email. So, so do I. Darren, you're going to have to write us back. Yeah. What's your favorite Rush album? I know my favorite bassist, other than Getty Lee, is Lex. <laughs> he provided the bass intro for today's podcast, and we appreciate that. Lex, thanks so much. Smooth again. So I've got a Twitter poll, Jer, also based on moving pictures. Okay. This is from our episode two weeks ago where we talked about YYZ. Yeah, yeah, YYZ. If you recall, you brought up the controversial topic of how to pronounce YYZ. Right. Now, if I remember correctly, you didn't, you were like, what controversy? How can there be a controversy? And I think you found out. Yeah, there's a controversy. <laughs> well, first of all, I put up a Twitter poll about it. And what I said was, the Rush Fancast presents part two of our four-episode moving picture celebration this week. This is how the, the tweet went, okay? Sure. Very well written. We discuss YYZ, the song that inspired a new generation's love of Rush the Band, thanks to Guitar Hero, which we also mentioned. Yep. So first of all, I got some feedback about the fact that I called YYZ a song. What? Yeah, someone said I shouldn't 
call it a song because there are no lyrics. And I did, I looked it up, the definition of song, there are lyrics. So technically, I shouldn't call YYZ a song. I hope you're going to keep these pauses in because (laughs) I am just flabbergasted by that statement, Uh, by that correction. The most pedantic of all pedantry has just occurred. (laughs) I can't even... I'm going to leave all the pauses in just for you. I just, I can't, I, I, that, that makes, that has to be, (laughs) that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's not a song. (laughs) You're just going to call it instrumentals. So if you were to, is this like the thumb, you know, like fingers and thumb, like your thumb's not a finger when obviously it's on your hand. So yes, it is a finger. Right. It's the same. One of those things. It's the same sort of thing. So if this person refers to moving pictures, he says, what, how many songs are on moving pictures? Well, there are only six apparently. Right. Does he say, well, there are six and one instrumental. <laughs> Probably. I guess so. What about classical music? No songs in classical music. The ones that don't have, um, you know, lyrics attached to them. Of I, course. I guess not. I guess not. Wow. So Dave Brubeck never wrote a song. I guess not. I, yeah. I don't okay. know. Anyway, agree to disagree. (laughs) So the big question is how do you pronounce it? That's what I said. Now I should have put you in caps. How do you pronounce it is what I was trying to ask. That's what you asked. I did, but people took it as how are you supposed to pronounce it? Oh, okay. So a lot of the replies I got were, well, YYZ is wrong because Getty, Alex, and Neil are Canadian. They call it YYZ. We should call it YYZ. Mm -hmm. That's what most of the people who were for YYZ, that was their argument. That's what they said. Right. What do you think? Well, I mean, does that mean that that's how they pronounce it? Well, yes, because these people were Canadian. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Or British. Right. Okay. Here's an argument I got. Now, because ZZ Top is an American band. I know where you're going with this one. It's pronounced ZZ Top. Now, okay. Canadians, according to some people, shouldn't pronounce it ZZ Top just because they're Canadian. Yeah, I didn't, wouldn't say that either. But m- my point all along was, who cares how it's pronounced? Who cares? That was, I, if, I, if that wasn't coming across in that episode, I think the whole idea of, of trying to say that this song is pronounced a certain way and everybody else is wrong and you're not a true Rush fan unless you say Zed. I don't buy into any of that. I am not on that train at all. Yeah, I agree with you. I I agree with you completely. But some people are on that train. I know. And, you know, it doesn't take much for one group of fandom to try to make themselves bigger fans than other fans. Right. It could be how many times did you see them? How much swag do you have? How many bootlegs do you have? Do you pronounce it Zed? It doesn't matter. You find it all through life, everywhere. Everybody's done it. You're not a true fan of this because X, Y, Z. I just, I'm just too old to buy into that anymore. <laughs> I really am. But I do have to say that most people just answer the question, I say Zed, I say Z. And that was that. So what was the answer? Was was the answer Zed? 
No. YYZ won the poll. Yeah. And you know what? I don't care about the answer to that poll. <laughs> because again, if, you know, if people want to pronounce it ZZ top, go right ahead. We got 1,139 votes. And my wow. guess is that most of the people that voted were American, which is why YYZ won the poll. Sure. And 2% said they pronounce it a different way. <laughs> okay. So here's one of the 2%, Jer. Okay. Blackstrat Cat at Daniel Trump pronounces it Ypsilon Ypsilon Zet, which is German for YYZ. Okay. Because he's German. Yeah. There you go. I'd like to see someone correct him. And I think Daniel's a true Rush fan, even though he's German. Right. So in the grammar world, there are two different camps, right? There's proscriptivists, and they go by the rules. They're the ones who are always saying you can't end a sentence with a preposition. You can. They're always saying, you know what I mean? All of these weird rules that, that there's always something right. And if you don't do it this specific way, then it's wrong. And descriptivists are the ones who say, well, I'm just going to use it the way it's used. That's all language is, is how language is used. You can, because if language stayed the same, we'd all be speak, still speaking like Chaucer in the English-speaking world. Yep. But language has changed. Grammar has changed. Everything changes. It evolves. Yeah. I mean, Rush has taught us that. How many lyrics about change? So. Yeah. And I think if one of the members of Rush happened to be American, he would probably pronounce it YYZ. Probably. But. <clears throat> and then what would be right? I'm just going to pronounce it Epsilon. Epsilon. What was that? Ypsilon, Ypsilon, Zet. That's what I'm going to do from now on. And, I'm, and I dare anyone to correct me. Well, I'm sure I'll be corrected on that pronunciation because it's wrong. <laughs> So many corrections pour in. Nothing we can do about it, really, except, I guess, become better educated. <laughs> no, a lot of the corrections are, are right. Yeah. Things that we got wrong. But this one, I don't know so much. Anyhow, let's jump back into moving pictures, Jerry. Oh, have, God. We yes, have yes. two more songs to go. I'm so excited. Oof. Witch Hunt is next. The night is black without a Okay, Jer, Witch Hunt. Yes, Witch Hunt. Your thoughts initially on this brilliant song. Well, do you have quotes? I love your quotes at the beginning. You want to hear some quotes? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear some quotes. So the first quote is from Alex Lifeson. This is about the voices at the beginning. Okay. We went outside the studio. It was so cold. We were well into December, I think. We were all out there. We put a couple of mics outside. We started ranting and raving. 
did a couple of tracks of that. I think we had a bottle of scotch to keep us warm. As the contents of the bottle became less and less, the ranting and raving took on a different flavor. Uh, He went on to say that they did it 12 times, and it was one of the high points of the recording session. Said it was one of the greatest times they ever had in the studio. (laughs) Going outside and screaming drunk. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I saw a quote somewhere else. I don't have it here. Neil was talking about the same thing. They had such a great time out there, just hooting and hollering and drinking scotch, apparently. Yeah, pretending to be an angry mob. Yeah, that's got to be fun. Yeah, it's fun. I would like, let's go do that right now, Steve. Get (laughs) drunk and scream outside of our houses. You know what I like about the screaming at the beginning is that you can definitely hear Neil. You can pick Neil's voice out. Oh, yeah. That's great. Um, This is not a quote, but this is a fact that I got from an interview I saw with Neil. They intended this to be a production number. They never intended to play this song live because it was so many different pieces that they had to put together for this song. They never thought in a million years they would play it live. Mm. And he said the overdubs that they did just weren't possible to produce live in 1980. So they were ahead of their own time, really technologically. Yeah. And then just a few years later, they did play it live. So the technology kind of caught up to them. Yeah. We definitely saw them, which I thought was interesting. When you said a production number, I immediately thought of like, like a big dance (laughs) to go along with it. Well, that's what Neil called it, a production number. So this is part three, Jer, of the Fear Trilogy. Why do you think they called it part three, even though part two and part one hadn't been recorded yet? I don't know. Is this where you tell me that you know why? I don't know. No, that's why I'm asking you. I don't know. I don't know why they just didn't call it one. Interesting. It certainly shows a certain level of confidence that the band would be like, hey, you know what? Let's, let's write three songs in a row. This will be number three, and we'll, <laughs> two and one will come next. You know what I mean? Then you're kind of boxed in. You have to do the other two. Right, right. If they had just made it number one, maybe if they couldn't figure out other songs, they could just leave it at that. I mean, is it because it's sort of a progression? The Enemy Within is the first part of Fear because that's inside of us. Okay, yeah. And Witch Hunt, two songs down the road, is a whole kind of group thing that's going on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe? Yeah. You know, someone emailed me, I forget who it was, and said something that I had never thought of before. The first song, the third one released, right? The Enemy Within. Mm -hmm. Just kind of jumps in just kind of bound out you know what i mean there's there's no lead in it just kind of explodes but then fades out oh i see and the weapon fades in and fades out and then the weapon fades in and out and then witch hunt fades in but just kind of you know drifts off stops at the end it drips off but it kind of does stop before it drifts all the way off now forgive me for not remembering this does freeze fade in part four of fear i don't know we're going to get vilified for not knowing oh, that, Jeff. Oh, man. You want to stop right now and just look it up first? <laughs> no. See, that's thought... what we're going to do. What? We, are, we should never again say, I don't know. We should just stop, look it up, and come back. And no, we'll no. I, I like about. saying I don't know. I think it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> we have no idea if freeze fades in or not. I'm, an, I'm going to say it doesn't. Okay. You, you may be wrong. You may be incorrect. But, 50, but that's, that's, that's a good point, though. That's a good point, though. Yeah. I wish I could remember. See, I should go back and look. But yeah, I, I'd never thought of that before. 
kind of a continuation then, right? Right, from one to the other. So I, I think your idea about it being in that specific order makes sense. One being very, very personal, and the last one, three, being you know, about all of society. Right. And maybe when Neil wrote this song about fear in society, he figured, you know what? Maybe I'll do some other songs. Yeah. But this will be the ending. Yeah. He must have planned it out, you would think. I don't think it was a joke to call it part three. No, they definitely planned it out. Yeah. So this song is Rush at their cinematic best, Jared, don't you think? This song, I mean, this this whole album, right? If we, if it's going to be, this is like your top 10 list. This, this song is also the most cinematic. Yeah, but this one's <laughs> almost like a movie soundtrack, you know? It's, it's different from the other songs, I think. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Well, it also has, you know, the images, you know, that we've seen in movies of the angry mob on the mm-hmm. hillside with the torches yep. coming to get somebody. Now, the name of the song is called Witch Hunt, but it's not really about a witch hunt, is it? Well, I think a witch hunt is just a, uh, a phrase meaning to, you know, go after somebody for some, I don't know, something that's not actually happening. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. Because obviously it's probably a reference to the Salem witch trials, those kinds of things, which didn't actually happen. People were not possessed by the devil. So when you go on a witch hunt, you're kind of just looking for things that are going to, that you are then going to define as the crime being committed. Right. Right. So the lyrics, Jer, of this song are just, just fantastic. Yeah. The descriptive words that Neil uses here are just fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I was thinking back to the, you know, the time in the late seventies, right? Early eighties, there was a lot of moral panic going on in the seventies. There was like, um, you know, a lot of satanic panic that kind of hit its, came to its head in, um, you know, the late eighties, mm-hmm. but definitely, you know, Anton LaVey, I think he's the head of the church of Satan, at least back then he was big in the seventies. Then there was the moral majority they came to the fore in the late 70s and they were always, you know, saying, you know, these people are morally bankrupt. These people are morally bankrupt and basically going on witch hunts. Yeah. And not that there's any um, dearth of witch hunts throughout history. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the thing is, I saw a quote from Getty. I do. I lied. I do have another quote. This is from the Plain Dealer in 2011. Getty says it's one of those songs that means as much today, if not more, considering what's gone on in the world with racial profiling and all these different issues. The sentiment of that song is as appropriate as ever. And this was nine years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunately, it it will always be as appropriate as ever. Yeah, very true. All right, so let's get into it, right? The song itself. Oh, boy. So the beginning when they're screaming and it reads feces, uh, when they're screaming and it reaches this fever pitch, that's when the guitar comes in. Yeah. It's foreboding guitar, right? And and the sound on Alex's guitar in this song is just fantastic. I mean, I know it's, it's almost evil. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely gives you a sense of, of evil in the room. Yeah. Like something is going to happen. Something bad, something wicked this way comes. <laughs> and the drums too have that feeling about them. That just foreboding kind of feeling. Yeah, definitely. Really, it really is fantastic. Yeah. 
And I mean, it starts, like I said, with the, with the movie scene of people on a hill with torches, you know, coming after Frankenstein's monster or something, you know. Mm-hmm. There's just a bunch of righteous people who are just going to destroy whatever it is, is the object of their ire, whatever it is. We find out later kind of what those are, right? Mm-hmm. Because the song is broken up into two parts, right? The first part is, is like a story setting up the scene of all these people. And then we kind of learn later on who they're going after, right? Mm-hmm. So the night is black without a moon. That's scary. Oh, yeah. Very scary. The air is thick and still. So it's really hot. People don't really seem to make good rational decisions in the dark when it's hot. <laughs> That's true. That is true. And as you said with Red Barchetta, Neil is just so economical with his words here. Oh, God, yeah. And the vigilantes gather on the lonely torchlit hill. Vigilantes. Right? So these are people, they're not part of the usual, you know, police force. Right. They're just a bunch of people who got whipped up about something. And they're marching towards somewhere with torches. Perhaps manipulated by someone else. Yep. To gather in this way. Yep. And their features distorted and the flickering light faces are twisted and grotesque, silent and stern in the sweltering night. The mob moves like demons possessed. We've all seen, and we've all <laughs> seen pictures like this though, of mobs yeah. that have that look about them. Yep. They can't, you know, they get into that like fighting mode or whatever mm-hmm. and they can't get out of it because if they do, they probably realize what they're doing is crazy. Yeah. But here, here's, a good, here's a good line. Quiet in conscience, calm in their right, confident their ways are best. Yeah. Quiet in conscience. They, don't, they are not questioning what they're, if what they're doing is wrong. In their minds, their conscience is quiet. Yeah. They, they know that they're in the right. Well, that, that's the problem with most people on this earth. Everybody thinks they're right and everybody else is wrong. Right. It's not possible that someone who has a different view than me could possibly be correct. Yeah, I know. It's a difficult uh, world to be in sometimes. The righteous rise. Yeah, the righteous rise. Is that a little sarcasm there? No, I just think he means that the people who are righteous, righteous is, I don't really think has a, has a it, to me, doesn't have a very positive connotation. If you're righteous, you know, I don't know, you're kind of going overboard. Mm-hmm. And you have the sense of, you know, taking things a little too far. Yeah, the righteous rise with burning eyes of hatred and ill will. And here's the line that you were kind of talking about. Madmen fed on fear and lies to beat and burn and kill. Yeah. So that's the, that's the equation right there, right? That's the math. You need to be afraid of something and you need to be lied to. And we see a lot of that in our current news. It happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Lies. Yeah, I mean, you pick, uh, you know, lots of genocides through history. That's what they're about. People are, are someone, uh, you know, someone tells someone to be afraid of another group and then lies about that group, which makes them more afraid. And there you go. And it seems to me that the people in power, the more they lie, the more those people believe the lies. Yeah, because part of the lying is that everybody else is lying, right? If I'm lying to everybody and saying that everybody else is lying, and then everybody else says I'm lying, that proves the point that they must, uh, they must right. be lying. 
It's kind of a catch-22 kind of thing. Sure is. So before we continue, Jer, I read somewhere um, Max Mobley, who wrote the book Rush FAQ. Okay. He called the themes of this song Vonnegetian. Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, like Kurt Vonnegut? Yes. Now I Vonnegutian. Well, I've never heard that. I've never heard that either. Yeah. In what way? You read a lot of Kurt Vonnegut. I love Kurt Vonnegut. He didn't really explain. Do you agree? I guess is the question. Jeez, I'd have to think about. I'm drinking from a Kurt Vonnegut mug right now. Steve. <laughs> Look at you that. You that? are. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I can't think of anything like this off the top of my head. I wonder if he's just talking about the theme. Yeah, the themes of the song. Themes of the song. Hmm. I'll have to go back and. Okay. I just thought I'd bring that up since you're a Kurt Vonnegut guy. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. I'll do some research on this one, Steve. All right. Get back to us. (laughs) So we get to the next verse. They say there are strangers who threaten us in our immigrants and infidels. Now, who is they? Is this the the manipulators again? Yes. Saying this to the the masses? Yep. Or, Or these, the manipulators or the people being manipulated. Right, people who have to save us from ourselves mm-hmm. are the ones saying this. That the people you have to be afraid of are the immigrants and the infidels, people who are not of your clan and people who are not of your religion. Mm-hmm. They're the enemy. And again, happens over and over throughout history. Yeah, and then the next line is: they say there is strangeness too dangerous in our theaters and bookstore shelves. And that's what reminded me of the Moral Majority when I first was thinking about this song a little more because they had a, the moral majority was founded by this guy, Jerry Falwell. Yep. He was big, in, he was big in America and you know, they went after things that they felt were destroying the family movies that were too sexually explicit or books or movies that promoted alternative lifestyles. You know what I mean? Yep. So those things, you shouldn't watch those things. They were trying to get those things out of the movie theaters and stuff like that. So I think that might be exactly what he's talking about. Yep. And that person, Falwell or whoever, those who know what's best for us. Yeah. Must rise and save us from ourselves. Yeah. And this, I guess this is a little bit about, you know, Neil's worldview too, being, I suppose, libertarian probably by this point. Yep. You know, believing that, There's only one person who knows what's right for you and it's you, you know, if you happen to agree with another group of people and join them, you're doing it because you have decided for yourself that that is the right thing to do. Right. But what he had an issue with is people who had a certain view about things telling other people, Hey, this is the way you're supposed to think. Right. This is the way you're supposed to think about things. And he didn't agree with that at all. He didn't agree with that. No. Now I love the last lines of the, of the, uh, the song. I'll call this a song, Jeff. That's okay. Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Quick to judge, quick to anger, slow to understand. Ignorance and prejudice and fear walk hand in hand. Yeah. This is a deep song, man. Yeah. This is really uh, kind of unlike any Rush song in that it's so dark. Yeah. It's a very dark song. This might be, I'd have to go through vapor trails again, but this may be Rush's darkest song, really. Yeah. Some of the, you know, Vapor Trails is heavy in places, um, almost every place, but this is just dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's frightening, really. It is kind of frightening. Maybe we should we make this the... part three of fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it's a it's a rough one. The other, you know, the other two parts don't sound like this, right? No, I, I mean, the enemy within does not sound foreboding in any way. Right, it's upbeat. Yeah, and the weapon, you know, not quite as upbeat, but not as not as dark and gloomy as this. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. That's why that's why it's part three, Jar. We've <laughs> we've gotten deep into fear by this point. Yeah, really. I mean, for me, it's it this kind of the the tone of this song for me fits this album because I I mentioned it probably on the episode one that I kind of see a you know the album cover is so dark that I think of these songs as being tinged with darkness. Yeah, you know what I mean. A heavier sound. I don't know. It's completely in my mind. And another great solo from Alex. I mean, I I say it over and over again. Yep. The music just fits the lyrics so well as we've been saying over and over. I remember when we saw them the first time and I didn't know any songs. I remembered this song. Yeah. In particular, because it was so striking to hear it played live. And that's what amazes me about the fact that they never intended to play it live. How great it was live. Yeah, I know. Really fantastic. It's the only song on the Moving Pictures tour from this album that they did not play. Really? Yeah. Interesting. They played, they played the camera eye? They played the camera eye. They played the instrumental YYZ. Yeah, they, they skipped it. They, <laughs> they were on stage for two hours. They played 12 songs and one instrument. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So any other thoughts on Witch Hunt, Jer, before we move on to the, the final track on Moving Pictures? No, but I'm going to agree with Getty, though, about Witch Hunt and that it is unfortunately as applicable today as it was when it was written. Oh, absolutely. So there's no, there's no question about that. So Jerry, we've made it to the final song. Wow. On moving pictures, vital signs. So I'll start with a quote, Jer, since you like me to start with a quote. I love quotes. This is from Neil. At the end of an album, it's impossible for us to judge which songs will be truly popular and which won't. We're inevitably surprised. And then there are songs like Vital Signs from our Moving Pictures album. At the time, it was a very transitional song. Everybody had mixed feelings about it. I don't know if there was oh. a pun intended there. Wow. But at the same time, it expressed something essential that I wanted to say. That is a song that has a marriage of vocals and lyrics I'm very happy with, but it took our audience a long time to get it because it was rhythmically very different for us, and it demanded the audience to respond in a very different rhythmic way. There was no heavy downbeat, and there was some reflection of reggae influence and a reflection of the more refined areas of new wave music that we had sort of taken under our umbrella and made happen. That song took about three tours to catch on. It was kind of a baby for us. We kept playing it and wouldn't give up. We put it in our encore last tour, 
putting it in the most exciting part of the set possible. It just demanded that people accept it because we believed in it. I still think that song represents a culmination, the best combination of music, lyrics, rhythm. It opens up so many musical approaches from being very simplistic and minimal to becoming very overplayed. Everything we wanted in the song is there, so that song was very special to us, but we had to wait. We had to be patient and wait for the audience to understand us. Now, that that surprises me because, of course, by the time we became Rush fans, Vital Signs had already been out for five years. Right. And we hadn't, we hadn't listened to all the previous stuff to think that this song would be radically different than anything else. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge, huge departure from everything else they had ever done. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's the perfect you know, lead-in to the next album. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, doesn't Neil play like synth drums on this? Probably for the first time. I think so. I think so. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not absolutely sure. But uh, apparently there's a sequencer that they're using. I don't know much about, about this stuff. Yeah. But it's called an Oberheim OBX synthesizer. Okay. And that's how they got that sound that you hear on the record? At, at the beginning? Yeah. Well, I have a quote, too, about the song and how different it is. Okay, cool. From the other stuff. It's from Neil. I picked it up from some interview he did that I found on YouTube. He says, one of the tricks we were already using then that we still do is make up other bands. Today, we're not Rush. We're the Fabulous Men. That way, (laughs) that was our new age band. We have an ongoing edgy rockabilly band called Rockin' F. So when we want to bring out a different persona, we say, okay, make this like Rockin' F. The song Vital Signs, that was definitely the Fabulous Men. (laughs) <laughs> now, I wonder what other songs were The Fabulous Men. Yeah, I don't know. They should put out an album, The Fabulous Men. <laughs> the Fabulous Men. Just the songs that are The Fabulous Men. Yeah. I mean, that's funny because this song is so different from all the other songs on the album that it's funny that they had to pretend to be other people or another, a completely other band in order to do it justice. <laughs> this is one of my favorite songs on the record. I mean, it's hard to even come up with a favorite song on this album. I don't think it is my favorite, but it's... It's right up there. It's so great. I have to say that all of the songs in this album are among my favorite songs on the album. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. they're all they're all so good. Well, let's get into the what the what the, this song is hard to figure out what it means. It is. I mean, I I went through it and I have an idea. We'll see if my idea is different from yours, but but go ahead. Um well, my my first idea comes from the title, right? Vital signs, which is, you know, your basic bodily functions, right? Your basic metabolism when you take your blood pressure and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. See, you know, whether or not you're healthy in some kind of basic way. You know, so I think the song is kind of talking about the personal, you know, the human condition and how all the ways that it can kind of go, you know, awry. Because it has a very computer, the song is very computer sounding, right? Yeah, I mean, he almost uses electrical jargon almost to describe the human qualities, right? Right, yeah. Feverish flux. Yeah. He does use computer terms. It starts off, unstable condition, a symptom of life, which I think is great because right off the bat, he's saying, you know, being unstable and not being, you know, comfortable or whatever, that's, that's a symptom of life. Yeah. That's just how life is, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny that he uses the word symptom 
because that makes it seem like it's kind of a disease or something. Right. It's a symptom of life. In mental and environmental change, atmospheric disturbance, the feverish flux of human interface and interchange. Brilliant words. I know. Just brilliant. And this harkens back for me to limelight, right? Yeah. This is Neil talking about himself, you know, human interface and interchange for him is like some feverish kind of back and forth, right? It's an atmospheric disturbance. Yeah, it's uncomfortable for him. It's, It's uncomfortable for him. And then the impulse is pure. Sometimes our circuits get shorted by external interference. Yeah. I mean, at its basic, I'm, I think that means, you know, sometimes you could just be put in a really bad mood by some kind of external interference, someone else, a situation. Yeah. And then your signals get cross and the balance distorted by internal incoherence. So you can get messed up by anything, right? Things outside of yourself, your own mind. It could be a total mess. Yep. Is that what you're thinking this song is about? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're hitting it right on the head. Oh, nice. My, my interpretation is more of the, the second part of the song. But before we get into that, this moment right here is my favorite moment on the whole album. Really? Right before Getty says, a tired mind become a shapeshifter. Yeah. That drum fill there. Yep. Is just, I don't know what it is about that moment. It's another one of those moments with like a split second of silence that just where the song kicks in right there. Yeah. That's just amazing to me. I have no idea why. I just love it. Uh, probably because it's something you n- never hear in songs, right? This song is cruising along and then they stop. And that drum <laughs> fill is just fantastic. It's just I know amazing. I, I don't know what it is. I love it. Love it. It's Neil. That's what it is. But all those other moments I talked about earlier for moving pictures, this is the one that I love the most. That moment right there. Good thing there's another song on this album. I love that one too. No, but I said before that there was another song that had a moment that I liked the most. This is it. And that's true. You did say that. I did. Now this part is, is interesting. A tired mind become a shapeshifter. Everybody need a mood lifter. Everybody need reverse polarity. Everybody got mixed feelings about the function and the form. Everybody got to deviate from the norm. Now, this is the part where I kind of have an, my idea of what I think it means. Okay. Now, I don't think when he says the norm, it means society's standard of what is normal. I okay. think it means your personal norm. So a tired oh. mind become a shapeshifter. To me, that's boredom in life Yeah. and a need for for a change. Yep. You know, tired mind could be just somebody who's stuck in a rut, right? Yeah. Everybody need a mood lifter. Everybody need reverse polarity. And maybe reverse polarity means something completely different from what you're doing now. Right. Changing your life and right. like doing a 180. Because you have a tired mind, you need reverse polarity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. That's the way I interpret that. And the mixed feelings. I mean, even though, the previous verse says, Hey, you should make a change. We've all got mixed feelings about doing that because you're, you're comfortable or yeah. Or how to do it. Right. The function and the form of it. Right. So that's, that's what I think ultimately to me, this song is about. Yeah. Preach Steve preach. Well, I don't know. It's, it's just a theory. No, I'm, I, I like it. Okay. I agree with that, man. But then we have an ounce of perception, a pound of obscure process information at half speed. Pause, rewind, replay, warm memory chip, 
random sample, hold the one you need. What is that? <laughs> no idea. I have no idea. I, I, I can't interpret every single word here, Jer, but. I, I think that it, when I read this, I'm thinking maybe this is um, like if he's, if a tired mind, if he has a tired mind, then maybe he's going to sleep. He's going to sleep on whatever problem he has, right? An ounce of perception, because sometimes your dreams can be perceptive, mm-hmm. but a pound of obscure, because they're just usually, you can make sense of them, but they don't make sense. Right, right. Process information at half speed. Pause, rewind, replay. When you, you know, go through your day, sometimes you relive your day in your dreams. Warm memory chip, I'm assuming just means that, you know, if, you're, if people are computers, your processor is getting hot mm-hmm. from doing all this work. And then the random sample hold the one you need means that you should just, I guess, grab onto something, right? Could the pause, rewind, replay be similar to the line, tired mind become a shapeshifter, almost like you're living the same day over and over again? Pause, rewind, replay? Oh, yeah. Maybe? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I forgot dreaming. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. I think so. An ounce of perception, a pound of obscure. Process information at half speed. Pause, rewind, replay. It's like a Groundhog Day. Right. Groundhog Day. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Okay. You sold me. Okay. Leave out the fiction. The fact is, this friction will only be worn by persistence. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Tom Sawyer, right? Yeah. Tom Sawyer's got to get on with the friction of the day. So I think a lot of these songs are what Neil's feeling about his own life. Yeah. Tom Sawyer, Limelight, Vital Signs. It's all Neil. Yeah. Yeah, because leave out the fiction, right? Just, you know, don't, you have to hone in on whatever the truth is, right? Mm -hmm. What you can accomplish or whatever. Don't believe, you know, any fiction about how something should be or shouldn't be. Just go after what is. And the fact is, the, fric- the friction, your, your, your path getting there, if it seems difficult, the only way to do it is by persistence, to wear it down. And I'm sure that's how all three of them live their lives, it seems, right? Yeah. And um, the next part, just another continuation of that, about making change in your life, leave out conditions, courageous convictions will drag the dream into existence. Yeah. So the dream could be, you know, making that change in life. Could be, yeah. Could I mean, I guess it could also be just about anything. As long as you have a courageous conviction that you can do it, then it might be hard to do, but you can do it. Yeah. Leave out the conditions. You know what I mean? It, we all put conditions on things, right? Like, I can't exercise today because whatever. You know what I mean? Right. I should have uh, done this today. I can't do this because it's snowing. Well, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Leave out conditions. Don't pay any attention to them. Just focus on what you have to do. Wow, this is a very upbeat song. This is a lot more upbeat than I always thought it was. Yeah, it's it's one of those songs that I always loved, but never really delved that deeply into until yeah. preparing for this. And I'm glad I did because now I like it even more. Yeah. And I want to shout out to Getty here too. His vocals on this song are fantastic. Yeah, they are. Which brings me to another moment we get into, you know, a tired mind become a shapeshifter, that part again. Yep. And when he says everybody got 
mixed feelings when he goes, everybody got mixed feelings. The way he, just the way he says that second, that feelings the second time is just brilliant. It's just, just great. Love his vocals on this. Love them. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, everybody got to elevate from the norm to the end of the song, right? Yeah. Fantastic. I found another interview with Getty. This is from 1980. Oh boy. From a radio station called CHOM. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Getty called Chom 96. He called Vital Signs the single most different tune we've ever done. The best way to describe it is contemporary. The whole introduction of reggae into rock music is a very positive one because it's so soulful and so emotional. And he said this song was written in the studio and recorded in one day. <sighs> Wow. Neil had the lyrics, but the song itself, they wrote and recorded in one day. How cool is that? That's, that's insane. It really is. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That is totally crazy. Crazy to think that. Yeah. From scratch, right? Yeah. And as you said, this is a, a real good jumping off point to signals, which has a different, similar to moving pictures in some ways. Yeah but a little bit different as well. Yeah, definitely. Obviously the production of it is a lot different, but you can see sort of, you know, a line connecting the two albums that's begins with this song. Oh yeah, absolutely. Totally makes sense. So anything else on vital signs, Jar, before we wrap things up here? No, nothing else. All right, great. Uh, you know, I have to say really really digging into moving pictures was first daunting right because when we talked about doing more than two i was thinking there's no way that we can talk about two songs for an hour and we did it and we did it even even these last two songs which you thought wow we can't talk about witch hunt and vital signs for an hour can we (laughs) sure we can why not why not why not but one thing we did forget is we have to Uh-oh. do a rush set list, Jer, from the moving oh, pictures yeah. tour. That's right. Four episodes. We got to get a set list in. This is going to be good. I can only imagine. So the one I pulled out is a local show. Mm. May 18th, 1981, Madison Square Garden, New York City. We could have been wow. there, Jer, if we, we could were have been there. old enough to drive and we knew any rush fans who <laughs> could enlighten us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it starts out with 2112 Part 1 Overture, followed by Part 2, The Temples of Syrinx, Free Will. Then we've got a new song, Limelight. Very cool. Cygnus X1 Book 2, Hemispheres Part 1, Prelude. Beneath, Between, and Behind. Then we got a couple more new songs, The Camera Eye and YYZ, or YYZ. <laughs> or pronounce it. Or that other third pronunciation. <laughs> Followed by a drum solo. Then uh, we've got Bruins Bane, Jer. We haven't talked yeah. about Bruins Bane yet. The little intro that they did yeah. for the trees, which showed up on exit stage left, mm-hmm. was also done at this show. The trees, Xanadu, the spirit of radio, Red Barchetta, Closer to the Heart, Tom Sawyer, Vital Signs, Natural Science, wow. Working Man, and this I found interesting, 
They uh, did Cygnus X1 Book 2 Hemispheres Part 4. Hmm. Strangely. That is strange. And Bintor and the Snow Dog, in the end, in the mood, and then 2112 Part 7, the grand finale. So they opened the show with 2112 and ended the show with 2112. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, and then they came back for a one-song encore, La Villa Strangiato. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> now that, that's a set list. Yeah, that's a show, all right. I mean, I seem to say that after every set list I read, that that's a set list. Yeah. How many songs are in that set list, Steve? 25. <laughs> 25. Or 23? Because they did YYZ and Oh, you got me. You got me. Well, Brune's Bane isn't oh, a song either, Jar. No, it's not. <laughs> so there's only 23 songs and there's two instrumentals. How right. about that? Oh, no, wait a minute. La Villa Strangiato is not a song either. Yeah, that's what I said. La Villa and, and YYZ. Well, Brune's Bane. So there's only 22 songs. I always count that, though, as the intro to the trees. Right? But hang on a second. 2112 Part 1 Overture. Is that that's a right. song? Because he says the meek shall inherit the earth at the end? Technically, I suppose. <laughs> it, it barely meets the criteria uh, for a song because he says one thing. The guy who sent me that note's going to hate us. I know. I'm so sorry, dude. <laughs> we, we, look, we love you. We thank you for listening. We're just, we just like to bust chops. It's fun. Yeah. So that's it, Jer. We made it through moving pictures. Yeah, we did. It's amazing. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are The Rush Cast. Email Jerry. Tell him what you think about moving pictures. Tell him what you think the definition of a song is. <laughs> the Rushcast at gmail.com. Rate us on your favorite podcast app. We really appreciate it. And Jer, please, please tell me you have a quote. Of course I have a quote. Uh, would you ever let me down? I never, never <laughs> let you down, Steve. <laughs> Quick to judge, quick to anger, slow to understand. Ignorance and prejudice and fear walk hand in hand. Brilliant words. Take it easy. All right, bye.